Amen. All right. Well, all year we are going through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today we're moving on to John chapter 6. And one of the most famous signs or miracles of Jesus' ministry, which is feeding the 5,000. Now, if you missed any of the sermons that we've done so far in this series, you can always go back and watch or listen online. We have a, we have a YouTube channel. We have a live stream. We have an audio podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So I don't know. You know, if you want, if you're into that sort of thing, go nuts. Uh, but today, uh, in this, we have the fourth of the seven miraculous signs of John's gospel. And we have a sign today of provision, of God providing. And this sign shows that Jesus knows what we need. He loves to provide. And he loves to provide in such a way that goes above and beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. So let me ask you this as we start. Have you ever needed God to provide? <laughs> you can say amen if you, if you agree with that question. Have you ever needed God to provide? Have, have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed? Have you ever pleaded with the Lord to do something that only God could do? I have many times. <laughs> I am a needy person, okay? I was, I'm a needy pastor. The Lord knows this, okay? I have many needs. We, I'll, inter, I'll, I'll incorporate you in this, we have many needs, does anyone remember 2020? Anybody, anybody remember that year? It was, what a year, right? It was, well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't all bad. But some of you might remember that we had almost finished our remodel project of this whole building space, and we were finally able to satisfy the code requirements of the city <laughs> to be able to move in fully in February of 2020. And then March happened, and we all went home. So, yeah. Now, going into the pandemic, we still had about $20,000 of bills that we needed to pay as a church on the project, the remodel project. But with the shutdown, some of us were not able to give what we had pledged for the building project. Understandable. The pandemic. Some of our businesses closed. Some of our work stopped. As a church, we had enough money to keep operating on the barest of bones, but we scrambled to try and figure out how to stay, while we scrambled to try and figure out how to stay connected with everyone in isolation. But we did not, at the time, have enough to finish paying off those bills. There were two vendors, and they were very gracious to us because we were far from the only one in that situation, but for almost a full year, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and many of you prayed and prayed and prayed that God would provide. But it wasn't until the end of 2020, around Christmas time, when we had this incredible outpouring of generosity by the members of the church, that we not only had enough to completely pay off the debt, but we had enough to actually start rebuilding our, our savings as well. And it really felt like a miracle of God's provision. 
Now, on top of everything else that happened that year, the financial pressure that I felt was immense. And that year, I prayed almost every day that God would provide the money that we needed. But also that he would help me to trust in his provision. Have you ever needed God to provide? Maybe you have a need today. Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 6. And we're going to consider the most famous story, the most famous miracle of all four Gospels after the resurrection of Jesus himself. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. You're supposed to go, oh. I see. Thank you. Okay. And a great crowd of people, just making sure you're awake, okay? Um, And a great crowd of people followed Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Okay, let's, let's pause here. So, so wonderful. I love the Bible. Okay, so the feeding of the 5,000, as I said, it's very famous. In fact, it's the only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus, of course, repeated in all four gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, all reference the death of John the Baptist right before this story. And just to recap a little bit, John the Baptist, who was featured so prominently earlier in in John the Apostle's gospel, he had the courage and maybe the audacity to speak out against an immoral marriage between Herod the Tetrarch, who was this powerful political leader in the region of Galilee, Herod and his sister-in-law, Herodias. Now, he married his sister-in-law, Um, Okay, while his brother was still alive, while everybody is okay with this, John rightly said that it wasn't lawful for Herod to marry his sister-in-law. She was already married. So Herod, Herod, in response, had John thrown into prison and then was later pressured into having John executed. It's a totally unjust situation. So, but it was in this context, it was in this highly charged context an even violent tension between the political and religious leaders of their day, it was in this culture that Jesus was starting to gain real popularity in his ministry. He was gaining an incredible crowd, an incredible following at this time, which we see here. But also he was increasingly getting opposition from the Jewish leadership. So at some time, and we'll see this opposition as we continue to go through John's gospel, but sometime after the healing of the man at Bethsaida in Jerusalem, which we looked at last week, and after John the Baptist had been killed, John the author, the apostle, says that Jesus and his disciples were again in the northern region of Galilee. And it was by the Sea of Galilee, 
or the Sea of Tiberias, which people would have known at the time of John's writing. Uh, at any rate, this isn't a, a sea, it's actually a lake. It's, it's a very similar size and shape lake as Lake Winnebago. When you picture the Sea of Galilee, you can picture Lake Winnebago if you'd like. Maybe that is a little less glamorous than what you were picturing, I don't know. <laughs> I like Lake Winnebago. Anyways, a great crowd of people followed Jesus, and John says that they had followed him because the signs Jesus had performed by healing the sick. Now, this will become more of a theme as we go through John's gospel as well. John does this wonderful work of weaving these themes together that run throughout his gospel. Will the people follow Jesus because they actually believe in him? Or will they follow Jesus simply because of what they think he can do for them? The benefits that they can get from him, in other words. Now, this is a discipleship theme that John will develop. But for now, here, Jesus was probably at the height of his popularity. Later, we'll read that there were about 5,000 men in the crowd, but counting women and children, there could have been as many as 10 or 15,000 people there. A huge crowd of people who had traveled to see Jesus and hear him teach and experience something of his ministry then and there. Now, other gospel accounts mention that Jesus had compassion. His guts were moved when he saw this great crowd because he saw them. They were like this big group of sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus spent the day with them, teaching them, healing them, ministering to them. And it would have been amazing to have been there that day. But it also would have been a long day, a tiring day as well. Now, at some point, Jesus asked Philip, one of the 12, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And I love this little kind of a side statement from John. He only asked this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. He already had in mind what he was going to do. So, again, this is true everywhere. Jesus never asks questions because he needs to gain information. This is a discipleship question for one of his apprentices. This is a leadership development question. Philip, you've been with me for some time now. We have a crowd of thousands of people who are hungry people. People I love. People I'm, we're ministering to all day. We have a crowd of thousands. And Uber Eats won't be invented for a long time. <laughs> How should we feed them? Now, Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but let's hear, let's hear what Philip has to say first. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Okay. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Good question, Andrew, right? Okay, so Philip could, he could accurately assess the problem. That's only half the battle, right? He could accurately assess the need. It would take more than a half a year's wages just for everyone to get a bite, much less a satisfying meal. Now, this was probably true, but it doesn't move us any closer to the goal. 
Any other ideas, team? Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, speaks up. Have you ever, have you ever kind of been known by your own brother or sister? Like, oh, you're so-and-so's brother. Doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> For the rest of time, Andrew's introduced to Simon Peter's brother. So, sorry, Andrew. Um, okay, but we're brainstorming. We're troubleshooting, all right? Andrew starts looking around, and he sees a little boy, and he's got a bag lunch. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, both small, okay, small. He's a small boy with a small lunch. We've got a crowd of 15,000, we got one kid's lunch, okay? We're making progress. Now, <laughs> it's funny. The Bible can be funny. It's comical just how little the disciples have compared to the greatness of their need. And that's a universal principle, friends. It's funny how little you have compared to the greatness of your need. Well, also, let's come back to that. How do you think the kid felt when he's standing there? He's like, wait, my lunch? <laughs> what? Jesus, you want my lunch? Okay, well, let's see what Jesus has in mind. He already knew what he was going to do, right? Jesus, look, look back at verse 10. Jesus said this, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they all sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Okay, 10, 15,000 people total. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that left over by those who had eaten. Okay, let's pause one more time. Okay, so this is what Jesus had in mind. This is what he was going to do. He wasn't panicked about it. Hey, Philip, what do you think? How should we feed all these people? Now, if you, if knowing what we know now, what Philip should have said is this. Lord, if you want to feed all these people, you could call down manna from heaven. Or you could turn these stones into bread. Or you could multiply this little boy's lunch. And it would be more than enough. That would actually have been the right answer. That answer would have been an answer of faith rooted in what Philip had already seen of the miraculous power of Jesus, the beloved Son of God, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. When God asked the prophet Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones, in Ezekiel 37, if the bones could live, Ezekiel had a better answer than Philip. He said this, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I don't know, God, but you do. What would be impossible for me is possible for you. What would be impossible for human beings is possible with God. So can these dry bones live? Only you know, Lord. Only you know. How can we feed all these people, Philip? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's not possible for me, but it might be possible for you, Lord Jesus. Do you see? This, this was a test of faith for Philip. 
And he was worried about the money. But this was also a sign by which Jesus would reveal his glory to his disciples, including Philip, who would eventually come to see and believe in the power of God to provide through his friend Jesus. So Jesus had everyone sit down. And he took the food and he gave thanks for what God his Father would provide through him, the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he made sure that everyone had enough to eat and be satisfied. Now, how do you think this little boy, our friend, felt then? How do you think he felt about the offering that he made to Jesus? If I were Jesus, I'd have that little boy sitting at my right hand in a place of honor because God used his small sacrifice, all he was able to give, in order to do the great things he wanted to do for his glory and for the good of all people. That is another principle of this passage. Not only is it funny how little we have compared to the greatness of our needs, but it is ridiculous what God can do with the meager offerings that we give to him. And so far, this is the biggest sign of the power and the person of Jesus. Well, how would the people respond? We've already said this is like the peak of his popularity so far. And this is what he does. He brings it. <laughs> and everyone gets to participate. It's not just like one person healed here and one person healed there. Let's look in verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they had intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this is God's word. Well, here at the end, we seem to have kind of an unsatisfying ending. If I was the playwright, I would have, I would have had a different ending. But... It's like on the one hand, the crowd seems to be convinced of something by this miracle, and it's not altogether a bad thing. They think that Jesus is the, the prophet described, which is a reference to God's promise in Deuteronomy 18, that he would send a prophet to his people who would speak his word, and they were to listen to him. The crowd thought, maybe this Jesus is that one that God promised to send. Now, Jesus is, of course, a prophet. He is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 and God's promise there. He, he, and he doesn't just speak God's word to God's people, which is what a typical run-of-the-mill prophet would do. He is, in fact, the word of God made flesh, as John said in his prologue. He is a living embodiment of the word of God to God's people. He is the Son of God sent from heaven to reveal the fullness of the glory of God. He is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But the crowd didn't see all of that yet or believe it yet. How could they? 
for Jesus had not yet died and risen again from the dead. So remember time. This is before the empty tomb. And the only thing that the people thought of the great prophet or the Messiah who would be sent from God is that they would be this political leader, a regular king, godly king, but a regular king over a regular kingdom. It would be a kingdom that honored the one true and, and living God, but it would be another kingdom, just like the Greek empire or the Roman empire or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Assyrians before them. Uh, before them. And so Jesus rightly perceives that the crowd is intending to make him king by force, which is not what he wants to do in order to rebel against the Roman empire with Jesus at their head. And this is not his mission. A regular kingdom was not the type of kingdom that King Jesus was establishing. At the end of John's gospel, while on trial for his life before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked Jesus if he was in fact the king of the Jews. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You see, Jesus wasn't just a political leader who needed to fight the existing human powers or empires in order to establish himself and his kingdom. He was and is the king of all creation who invaded this kingdom of darkness and by his blood and by the power of the spirit is rescuing men and women from sin and death and is delivering us into his kingdom, a kingdom that is spiritual in nature and a kingdom that will go on forever, even beyond this age, even beyond death. And it's this kingdom, it's his kingdom where Jesus is king that is breaking into the kingdom of this world and one day will consume it all. And in that great and glorious day, then finally, will God's kingdom have come and his will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. But for now, the age that we are living in, at this time, after the feeding of the 5,000, or the many thousands, Jesus had not yet died and he had not yet risen again. So he is not ready to be recognized as the king. So he wisely withdrew. Well, what does all this mean for us? We've seen a couple principles as we've worked through the text. But how do we apply this teaching to our lives today? Well, I think there are two, really two things going on here for us. First, we see that God is a God who is more than able to provide what we need. This is a sign of provision. And Jesus taught on this many times. He taught his disciples that God is our Father in heaven who loves his children and just like any other good dad, loves to give good gifts to his children. Jesus taught that our Father loves us and is near to us. This isn't a long-distance relationship. So he hears us when we pray. He knows what we need better than we know. Jesus teaches us to ask and to seek and to knock, to pursue what we need from him, not just passively lay back and expect him to provide for us 
Remember, as a good dad, he's going to make us grow up. He says we do not have because we do not ask. He says we are to pray and keep on praying for justice or, or, or righteousness or the things that we need and to expect that God will answer our prayers in his timing and according to his wisdom and will. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray every day. Pray like this, he said, and ask for what you need. Now he says, give us this day our daily bread. But the daily bread is just our daily needs laid out before the Lord in prayer. If you had your daily bread, as I often do when I pray that prayer, thank him. Give us this day our daily bread. Not very hungry. Thank you, Lord. Pray for what you need. Then make sure you take that need to him. Just like Jesus in this miraculous sign, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, the Apostle Paul writes. If you need a meal, he can take a little meager offering and give you enough to satisfy with 12 baskets left over. Well, amen. Let's do it. What do we need that he cannot meet? Let's put our faith and trust in him. Let's pray to him and watch what God will do. Now, this would seem to me to be enough. Enough of a message for one day, I think. This is a lesson that we all must learn as children of God and as disciples of Jesus. And I needed this lesson back in 2020 when I prayed and prayed and prayed and trusted the Lord to provide, and many other times in my life, to be honest. But there are a few clues scattered throughout this text which suggest that there is something a little deeper going on as well. This is a sign of provision, but, but this miracle foreshadows something far greater. Now, how do I know that? Well, there are actually four clues, I believe, in this story that suggest there's something more to the story. First, the number 12 shows up. When we were reading through this, did that like make your radar spike at all? Or I don't know how that works. Did it raise a flag? The number 12 is a, is a number that continually comes up in the Bible for some reason. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles that Jesus called to be his eyewitnesses. Uh, and there's 12 baskets left over after this miracle. Does that mean something? Or is it just like a coincidence? Does God just like the number 12? Is it one of his favorite numbers? Okay, well, maybe that's nothing. Let's keep going. Well, second, there's the language of Jesus giving thanks, breaking bread, and passing out the pieces. Does that remind you of anything? Does that sound like anything? If you've been a Christian for a while, that should automatically make you think of what? Of communion, of the Lord's Supper. On the night before his death on the cross, Jesus, as Matthew says, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He distributed it, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now, John intentionally uses the same language here to describe this miracle, and that can't be a qu another coincidence, can it? Third, this is a little harder to see in the English, but if you look at some different Bible translations, you'll see. 
When Jesus says, gather the pieces that, none are, that, that are left over, let nothing be wasted. The word wasted there is the same word translated to perish in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Gather the pieces that are left over, let none perish. We have three clues. First, we have a reference to the Lord's Supper. We have the miracle, the miraculous provision of God, which results in 12 baskets and a call to gather in every piece after this miracle so that none may perish. Well, I believe the key to understanding the meaning of this story is the fourth and final clue, and that is John's reference to the Passover festival. Now remember that John said that the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now these details matter. As you read the Bible, you should ask, why is this here? They don't tend to waste a lot of words. So why do we need to know that the Jewish Passover festival was near? Well, the Passover festival, for those of us who, who aren't as familiar with the practices of ancient Israel, it was one of the national festivals which celebrated another time when God miraculously provided for his people. At the first Passover in the book of Exodus, God provided protection from judgment and wrath against sin under the blood of a sacrificial lamb. Now this all took place when the people of God were slaves in Egypt. And, and the truth is this, as good and as important as it is for God to meet our physical or emotional or financial needs, those things are very good things and important things. As good as and important as those things are, the ultimate thing that we need God to provide for us isn't bread or even money to pay a debt. Ancient Israel needed God to provide a way of salvation, a way of freedom, a way of life for them from the power of sin and death. And so do we. But instead of killing a lamb and smearing the blood on the doorposts of our houses, God himself came as the man, Jesus Christ. Remember what John the Baptist, who had just given his life for his faith, had said about Jesus, that he was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that, that this was the one that God would send who would finally deal with the problems of sin and death. For 1,500 years, the Passover celebration was a big sign pointing forward to Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was the lamb. He was the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so regardless today of who you are or what you have done or where you're coming from, you too can receive the love of God you too can be saved. You can be covered. You can be protected by the blood of Jesus, which is received by faith. Why? Why can we receive all these things? Why can we receive this miraculous provision of God to save 
and to meet our greatest needs? Well, because of Jesus. Because of who he is, because of his obedience to his Father, because of his faithfulness to us. Because we, for whatever reason, are the joy set before him so that he would face the cross and endure its pain and shame in order that we might have a way. So today, have you ever needed God to provide? Go to him. Ask him. Trust him. But let those needs remind you of our greatest need, which God has already provided through his beloved son. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for providing for us as a good father. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience to come and to live and die and rise again so that our greatest needs for life that doesn't wear out, for a place in your kingdom, for a seat at your table, so that we might receive these things because of who you are and your grace and your goodness and your generosity to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our counselor and be our advocate when we have sometimes incredibly heavy and burdensome needs. And Lord, if there's anyone here that is in that place and you have a need, I ask, Lord, that you would, would meet that need. You would heal those wounds and you would provide for those debts. You would do what only you can do, Lord. And so, in our lives and in this community and out into this world, I pray that your goodness and your provision would bring you glory and honor and praise, both now and forevermore in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.